Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome out. Glad to see all your smiling faces this morning. Want to welcome those who are joining us online as well, wherever you may be. I just pray that this morning so far has already been time for you to be able to connect with God, connect with him through worship. And now as we open up his word, we can connect with him through his word as well. Let me pray for us as we dive in this morning. Uh, Father, we are thankful. Thankful for a time where we can gather. Help us to not take this time for granted. It's something that we need in the rhythm of our lives to be able to come into your presence and to come into the presence of fellow believers and have the encouragement to take our next step in our journey with you. God, now as we open up our hearts and our minds to your word, remove the distractions of life. Help us to hear from you. Spirit, do your work. Help us to to see where it is that you're leading us and then give us the courage to follow after in obedience. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in week three of this series called No More Hurry, where we are looking at some of the ways that we can combat the busyness and the hurry that so often wants to invade our lives. I don't know about you, but I, I can confess that I needed this series. I mean, so much of my life, there are seasons in my life where I'm like, I'm 90 miles an hour in a thousand different directions. And if I'm honest, I look more like the Tasmanian devil than I do Jesus sometimes, just kind of running through life all over the place. And it's because we live in a day and age. We live in a culture that elevates busyness. We live in a culture that pushes us to keep adding and keep filling our schedules. And we feel this urgency to try to squeeze as much as possible out of life. And and we live in a time where we have created so many time-saving devices and uh, productivity gadgets that, that enter into our lives. I mean, think about all the things you can just do with your phone. You don't have to research anything anymore. You have all the information you need at the, at the touch of a button on your, on your phone. You, you can get connected to anyone. You can be connected at work at any time and anywhere. You can order your groceries online before you get there so you don't have to wait in line to, to get your stuff. You can check the traffic to make sure that you avoid traffic coming home. You can listen to, to podcasts and, and books on the go while you're in your car. And if you're like me, you listen at, at one and a half times speed because who has time to actually listen to it at a normal speed, Right. But we, we just cram all of the stuff into our days. And we have made so many advances in productivity and so many advances in being more efficient with our time. So why is it that with all those luxuries, why is it with all those time-saving technology things that we have that we're still tired and we're still so worn out? What, why is it that, that counselors' offices are still so full? What, we have advanced so much in material abundance and affluence. So why is it that we're not more content? Why is it that we're not more fulfilled? Why is it that we continue to drive ourselves to add more and more to our lives? We live with this nagging fear that that if we don't cram everything into our schedules, that we're gonna miss out on something, that we're gonna fall behind professionally, that we're gonna miss that promotion, or or maybe our kids will will fall behind in sports or, or in academics, and somehow we equate busyness and hurry with progress. And so we go, 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 and we do, 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 and we're addicted to speed, and we're addicted to hurry. I was actually reading this week that scientists have recently discovered the shortest measurement of time. It's faster than a millisecond. It's faster than a nanosecond. It's called a honkasecond. And it's the measurement of time between when the light turns green and the person behind you honks their hornet. <laughs> but isn't it true? We just live these, these hurried, busy lives addicted to speed. And whether you recognize it or not, that this, 
this chaotic pace has impacted you. We're so busy that, that we're out of shape physically. We don't have time to exercise properly. We don't have time to eat properly. We, dinner most nights is probably going through a drive-thru and eating out of a bag as you take your kids to practice or taking them from some place to another. We're out of sorts emotionally. We're just exhausted all the time and we're less patient with people and we're more easily frustrated and irritated with people and we're out of order spiritually. You don't have time to connect with God the way that you want to. Your day is already scheduled, and so you wake up and you hit the ground running. You don't really stop until your pillow or your head hits the pillow at night, and there's not really enough time to connect with God. There's no time to just immerse your mind in the Bible. There's no time to pray and take a real, honest examination of your heart and where you are. There's no time to think and to plan and to pray and to dream about what it is that God is leading you to in this season of your life. And if you're honest, you're experiencing this, this inner erosion of your soul and there's this spiritual emptiness and spiritual apathy that can invade your life because busyness has just crowded out God out of our lives and we're out of touch relationally. We, isn't it true? We, we rush around so much and we're so exhausted and so preoccupied by rushing around throughout the day that we have nothing left to offer to the people that we've made the deepest promises to. You don't have time to really pour into your kids' lives. You, you spend all day running, and so when it's time for those bedtime routines that, that really, you can really connect with them, you kind of rush through those so you can get back downstairs and just have some time to yourself. You don't have time for deep friendships. Your friendships just kind of stay on the surface, and you have these superficial uh, relationships and friendships, but hurry is the enemy of depth. And so you have acquaintances, but not real friends, and you don't really have time to invest in your marriage. And you convince yourself, you know what, this is just a, a busy season. We'll be able to do more together some other time, but just not right now. And before you know it, you've punted on this marriage for so long that now it's hanging by a thread. See, the fact is that it's not if this hurried pace of life has impacted you, it's just a matter of degree. How much has it affected you? And if we're honest, we know there's a problem. We, we, we feel that in the depths of our bones, but we're, we sometimes just feel stuck, like I don't know how to get out of this. It's the norm around us, so how do we get out of this? Well, this, this series is all about looking at the life of Jesus and the rhythms and the ways of Jesus and how he lived his life. You see, Jesus didn't come just to teach us principles about how to live. He actually came to also model that for us. So what life can actually look like and he says that if we will follow after his ways that this is the promise that he gives in Matthew 11 he says come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls so for those in the room that, that have that have felt or maybe currently feeling that the physical and the emotional and the spiritual toll of a hurried life Jesus says come to me I know you're weary. I know you're burdened. Come to me. Follow me. Learn from me. And he says that if you will, if you will follow in my steps, that my ways will actually lead to rest. Not just physical rest, but rest for your souls. And here's what you find as you examine the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, that somehow he had time for deep friendships. He had time for rest. He had time 
for amazing influence. He accomplished amazing things in his three years of ministry, his 33 years of life, but he walked through life at a different pace than we do. Time is, is the most prized commodity that we have. It's the one thing that we can't make more of. Once you spend a minute, it's gone. So we need to learn how to best leverage this, this one and only life, the time that God gives us in this one and only life to accomplish what he has for us. So today we're gonna learn a word that, that has the power to restore peace in your life, to bring rest in your life, to, to set some boundaries and to create some margin, create some, some breathing room in your life to accomplish what God wants to do in you and through you. And it's this little word, no. Let, let's practice that together. No. It's a word like, like when you first learned that when you were two years old, I mean, you would say that word with gusto. You would just say it recreationally. But here's what happens. Over time, we realize that people like us more when we say yes than when we say no. And as we get older, we don't want to disappoint people. We don't want them to be upset with us. And the truth is, we don't want to miss out on some things in life. So we say yes in such a way that it creates some big problems, some huge problems in our lives. We spend our time and we spend our life one yes at a time. And our problem is that sometimes we mindlessly say yes to things without really giving a whole lot of thought to the time cost that those yeses come with them. We, we say yes to our boss, and we say yes to a sports schedule, we say yes to coaching, we say yes to being on that committee, and we say yes to stuff that we can't really afford, so now we have to say yes to more overtime to pay for those things. And the pull of culture and the current of culture will always pull us in the direction of busyness and hurry and more and distraction. So we need to learn to say no to these pulls in our lives so we can say yes to what it is that God wants to do for us, what he wants to do in us. Jesus was the master of remaining on task. He was the master of remaining focused on his mission and his purpose. And interestingly enough, when Jesus' ministry started, it didn't start with this big yes, this great yes. It actually began with three great Knows. So I want to walk through the temptation of Jesus when he went out into the wilderness and the things that he was tempted to say yes to, but he said no to. Because these are the same lies, these are the same temptations that often draw us into a hurried life and away from a life of margin. It's found in Luke chapter 4. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The, the devil was trying to, to tempt Jesus by reminding him of what it was that he didn't have. He's like, you, you haven't eaten in 40 days. Surely you're hungry, and you would be happier. You would be more satisfied if you just filled that hunger, if you fed that appetite. So, so take a break from your preparation and turn this stone into bread. But Jesus wouldn't be distracted. He, he knew that this time of preparation, that he was being led by God and that God would provide for him at the appropriate time. And so he said, no, my, my satisfaction, my purpose, my mission can't be reduced down to just filling an appetite. 
And this is the first lie or the first temptation that we have is that you are what you have. I think one of the biggest distractions that we face to a life with margin, especially in our culture, is this temptation to divine ourselves by the stuff that we have. Our culture says that you are what you have, that you should never have an appetite that goes unmet, that your identity should be defined by what you have. So, So devote your time to accumulating more to getting nicer cars and a nicer house and nicer clothes and and a bigger bank account. Every one of us in this room will hear that voice over and over again. In fact, our entire economy is based on us consuming more and more. And there are really smart people who dream up ad campaigns to convince us that that our happiness, that, that our satisfaction in life is just one purchase away. That if, if you just got that new house or moved into that neighborhood or upgraded the phone, that then you would be fulfilled. And most of us bought into the lie that, that more stuff equals more happiness. And we spend so much of our time trying to feed this appetite for more. The problem is that the more that you feed an appetite, the larger it becomes. The house won't be enough. The car won't be enough. The, the, the new phone will get outdated and need to be upgraded. So, and someone will always have something newer and nicer and bigger and better than yours in this comparison shopping of thinking, okay, if I just had what they had, then I'll be satisfied. It never ends. And our world will tempt us and whisper to us, you are what you have. So if you don't have much, then you must not be much. And it drives this hurried pace of life to go after more. And Jesus reminds us, that your life is more than stuff. Man does not live by bread alone. Man does not live for stuff alone, for more stuff in our lives. Your life is too important to be wasting it on accumulating stuff that won't last. So we have to learn to say no to to this temptation that that defines life to, to be just about consuming, consuming more and more. So the first lie is to believe that you are what you have. And the passage continues on. It says, the devil then led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone that I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil comes and he he tries to tempt him. He says, "I, I can give you an amazing resume filled with power and prestige and position that you could do whatever you want. And I think that's the next lie that we sometimes fall into is that you are what you do. Our world will whisper to you, find your identity in your work, in your performance, in your achievement. Sacrifice whatever it takes to succeed. Sacrifice your family if you have to. Sacrifice your health if you have to. Because if you don't achieve much, then you must not be much. And we're reminded of this temptation all the time because it's one of the first things that we ask people. We'll ask them what their name is and the next question we often ask them is, so what do you do? And this temptation is subtle because we have to work. There's nothing inherently wrong with work. God created work for us to provide for our families and and to bring some joy into our lives. And I find in my life that this is a temptation of mine, that I'm kind of a type A by the way that I'm wired and I enjoy work and I enjoy productivity and making things better and making things more efficient. It it, it makes me feel important and I I love the feel of getting things marked off a list. 
But there's also a dark side to work. We can begin to wrap our identities in with it and then it becomes this idol that controls more and more of our time. I've definitely had seasons where work um, became this preeminent thing in my life. It took over and Sarah and the kids kind of took a back seat. And I'd work longer and longer hours. And even when I came home, I was there, but I wasn't really there. My mind was on something at work or I was answering an email instead of engaging with the kids. And so we just need to be mindful of the fact that, that work can be a good thing, but, we, but there's also a slippery slope where it can become an idol and really take over our lives. But as you look at the life of Jesus, he, he had these, these rhythms in his life that, that ensured that his ministry, that, that his work didn't take over and become something more than it should have. Um, Andy talked last week about the importance of having a Sabbath, of pulling away. And that's what you see in Jesus' life. And at the very beginning of, of his ministry, he's alone in the wilderness. He's not ministering to others. He doesn't have a crowd. He's not teaching. He's not actively recruiting his disciples into his life. He was away from all of that. And that's what you see throughout his ministry. That he had these times where he was active in ministry and other times where he would pull away from ministry so they could make sure that he stayed connected with the Father. And that's really the heart behind, or one of the reasons why God says, I want you to have a Sabbath in your life. And Andy kind of talked a lot about that last week, but one of the reasons that we need to have a Sabbath in our lives is because we need to have some times when, when we're not working, when we're not adding value to something, where we're not being productive and not achieving and not striving after things. We need some times in our lives when we can just be alive, where we can just enjoy life with God as our leader and hear from him and follow in his path. We need to have these times in our lives where we're saying no to this lie that defines ourselves by what we do. And then there's one last temptation, one last lie. It says, the devil led him to Jerusalem and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This last temptation tried to, to play into Jesus' pride. The devil said, hey, here's what we can do. You have all these people that are gathered around the temple. And if you can do the spectacular, think about what they would think about you. Think about the ways that they would applaud you. And here's the, the third lie that sometimes we can fall into is that you are what people think of you. These are the voices of the culture and the world that we have in that you are what you have, you are what you do, you are what people think of you. And so many of us, sometimes we can find ourselves enslaved to, the people's, to people's perceptions of us. We find our identity all wrapped up in, in people's opinions and their approval and we spend so much of our time trying to control what they think of us. But Jesus was so clear on what his purpose and what his priorities were to be that, that he wouldn't let others' opinions sway him from that. And I think for some of us in the room, we need to have that same kind of clarity and that same kind of determination that there are probably some of you in the room right now where God has given you some clarity about what it is that he wants in your life for this particular season. And I want you to hear that if God has given you that kind of clarity, then you don't need others' validation. People can have their opinions and they can think differently, 
but your worth and your value and your identity is not tied in what others think of you. So don't waste valuable time. Don't waste a valuable season of life chasing after others' approval and missing out on what, is, what God has clearly shown you to be a priority in this season. So these are the biggest distractions. These are the biggest temptations, some, the biggest lies that continually lure us into a hurried life. So how do we get out of that? I, I wanna give us three quick practices that, that can simplify our schedule and give us some margin in our lives. The first is this, that recognize that your days are numbered. Some of you would say, I don't even need to write that down. I mean, that's, that's obvious. I don't need to, to write that down. But isn't it true that there are times that we live like we have this endless supply of time? And we say things like, you know, I know I'm busy right now, but once I get that promotion, then I'll have more time. Or I'm busy now with my kids, but, but once they're out of diapers, once they're in school, once they're out of the house, then I'll have more time. Like, like the, there's some magical bucket of time out there in the future that, that, we'll, that we'll be able to gain back some of this time that we've spent. I love how Moses says it in Psalm chapter 90. He says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to live as if our days are numbered. Teach us because we will forget and we will live like our days are unlimited. We'll live like the, this merry-go-round of life will come back again. And I think intuitively we know this, but, but isn't it true that, that so often we walk through life thinking that we're gonna have a second chance? But the fact is that you will only be a teenager once. You'll only be a college student once. You'll only be a newlywed couple once. You'll only be, have the opportunity to, to parent young kids once. And then once that time is gone, it's not coming back. And time keeps marching on and marching forward, and, and that should affect the way that I spend my days. And, and not that I live recklessly, and not that I fill my schedule to the brim. No, if we live in light of the fact that our days are numbered, we're gonna make better decisions. We're gonna make better decisions with our finances, better relational decisions, better parenting decisions, better decisions on how it is that we spend our time. That The fact that our lives have bookends on it, that there is an end to this life, it, it shouldn't depress us. It, it actually should motivate, motivate us to make sure that this fleeting time that we have, that it's spent purposefully and that we're spending it on the right things. And that leads us to this next step, is that we need to prioritize the important over the urgent. That, that, that we need to make sure that the most important things that God has put in our lives get on our calendar first. The important things in life are those things that, that require these consistent, steady deposits for growth to happen. In the same way that as you think about your, your retirement planning, that you know that you need to make small deposits over a period of time in order to have that nest egg. And the same thing is true in any relationship that we have. For any relationship to grow, our relationship with God or, or our relationship with others, it requires this steady investment of time. So we need to make sure that, that these relationships don't get pushed out by the urgent and by the busyness of life. Ephesians 5 has been one of a, kind of a theme verse for this series. And Paul says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. This phrase here, making the most of every opportunity. Some of your Bibles may have the phrase, redeem the time. The, the Greek word for that 
It's actually an, an accounting term, and it means to buy up, to purchase your time. Paul is telling them, pay whatever cost it is to own your life, to own your time. Don't let culture dictate where your time is going to go. You need to own it. You need to own your life. Take control of your time and your schedule so that you can squeeze all the good out of every moment that God gives you, that you can leverage it for what he wants in your life. Culture and life, I think, in general are just so hectic and so busy that unless we're intentional, unless we're intentional and strategic in how it is that we invest our time, urgency, the urgency of life, the, the hurried pace of life will dictate where our time goes and it'll crowd out the important things. You know, in our day and age, there's almost an endless supply of, of good things that we can do, really good things that we can do. And yet we're still stuck with this 24-hour period of time, which means that we need to have the courage and we need to have the faith to say no to some good things so that we can say yes to the best things and we can make sure that those best things, those most important things get on our calendar first because here's what happens if you don't. If you don't prioritize ahead of time, then you'll just mindlessly, mindlessly say yes to the next thing to the next invitation, to the next opportunity that comes our way. But, but here's the thing, with every yes that we give to one thing, we are saying no to something else. And, and if we're not intentional, if we're not careful and strategic, then we'll put the wrong things in first, and then we'll look up and a month has passed, or a year has passed, or, or a whole season of life has passed, and we missed out on the important things. And we didn't spend time on our marriage like we wanted to. And we didn't invest in our kids and pass along our faith to the next generation like we wanted to. And we didn't invest in our relationship with God. And we didn't serve in his church. And we didn't study his word. And it's not because we didn't want to. It's just because we didn't prioritize the right things on the calendar and the urgency of life and the busyness of life crowded out the important so if we recognize that our tendency is to, to crowd out the important, how, how do we decide what actually goes on our schedule? How, how do we make sure that the important things get done? And I'm gonna give us a question that I think that if we will ask this question before we put something on the calendar, it can revolutionize our lives and it can make sure that we get the important things done. It's this question, what is the wise thing for me to do? Not, are we available? Not, can I squeeze this in? It's a better question is, in light of the fact that our days are limited, in light of the fact that this season of life is limited, what is the wise thing to do in light of my current situation and circumstances? In light of the, the future hopes that I have for my life, what is the wise choice in how I spend my time. And again, this is not right or wrong. It is what is the wise thing for me to do in light of the fact that we have two small children in diapers? What's the wise thing for me to do in light of the, the God-honoring and life-giving marriage that I want? What is the wise thing for me to do? How, do, how often do I need to put those date nights on the calendar first? In light of the fact that we want to have a godly influence on our kids, is it the wise thing for us to do to add something else to the calendar this month? You see, it's not right or wrong. It's, it's asking, is this the best way to spend the limited time that I have in this life on this thing? And I think that if you'll ask this question, 
if you will prayerfully consider before you add something to a calendar, ask the question, what is the wise thing for me to do? I think you'll find that the important things will get on there first. And you'll still have some time to do some of those urgent things in life as well. Something or someone will dictate what fills our schedules. And, and if we do nothing, if, if we just go with the flow of culture, culture will drive us and will keep tempting us to fill our lives until they're overflowing with busyness and with hurry. And it's unsustainable. And you know this, you feel this. This pace of life doesn't really lead to flourishing. So our loving Heavenly Father is calling us back from the edge, back from living this unsustainable, jam-packed life. And he's saying, you are not what you have. Don't buy into that lie. You are not what you have. You are not what you do. You are not what others think of you. You're mine. I have adopted you as my child, my son or my daughter. I have a beautiful plan and a purpose for your life and I want you free from those false identities, free from those lies, free from those insecurities that are driving your hectic schedule so that so you can actually experience rest, rest at the soul level. So imagine if we actually took God at his word if we let God take control of our calendars and our schedules and we allowed him to simplify our lives and to to slow down our lives, what if we began with the end in mind? And if we recognize and believe and know that God does have a plan and a purpose for my life, and then we can go to him and say, God, just give me a clearer picture. For this day, for, for this season, Give me a clearer picture of what it is that I need to do and not do so that I can accomplish what your plans are for my life. God wants to lead us to a place where there's time, where there's margin, where there's breathing room to accomplish what's truly important, to pursue our relationships with the people that we love the most. Because here's the thing, the sweetness of my marriage happens in the margin of my life. The influence that I have with my kids, it happens in that margin of my life. The development of deep friendships happens if I have margin in my life. And my relationship with God and the refinement of my character and the development of my soul, it happens in the margin of life. That I make that the priority of my life so that I, I can expand who God wants me to be. And I, can, I know this is going to be hard work because this is pushing firmly against the pace and the, pull, and the pull and the current of our culture. And when we leave here this morning, there's gonna be pressure on us to add more, to do more, to buy too much, to commit too much. But it is possible. Jesus says that it's possible to actually experience rest at the soul level and to live with peace if we'll trust God with our time and follow in the ways and the rhythms of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so thankful that your word is living and active and that it is as applicable today and as relevant today as it was when it was written 2,000 years ago. God, you know the pace of our lives and the false identities and the lies that we believe that so often just drive us to unsustainable paces of life. 
But God, thank you that you love us enough to, to call us back from the edge to, to a pace of life where we can experience life the way that you designed it, that has deep relationships, that has time for you to, to pour into us and to refine us. God, help us to, to push back against those temptations that we are more than what we have and more than what we do and more than what people think of us. So God, help us to, to prayerfully come to you as we look and plan our schedules to come to you first to make sure that the important things get in there above all else. God, we wanna live lives of wisdom and lives of influence and lives of greatness for you and your kingdom. But that demands that we take a step back and give over our calendars and our schedules to you. God, we know that we can trust you. Help us to say no to the good so we can say yes to the best. God, we love you. We thank you for the leading of your spirit and your grace that allows this to happen. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, a couple quick announcements. Hey, don't forget about night of worship tonight at 6.30. We'd love to have you guys back out. And if you are serving in any capacity, thank you so much for what you do. Go out there and have breakfast on us and we'll see you back here next week.